Wow. When you told us that we were going to be fighting a Tarrasque and an ancient red dragon at the same time, I really thought we were going to be toast. Yeah, I, I didn't really expect you to fight them. But you know what? We came out and boom, bam, boom. We took them out. Yeah, I'm not really sure what happened there. Like, they, they should have decimated your level three party. You know, it's probably just because our party is so good at tactics and stuff. You know, we're so awesome that, that no monster can stop us. They shouldn't even try. Oh, hold on. I, oh, I didn't see this here. Oh, what do you mean? Lair actions, special attacks. Oh, I didn't see these things before. This, this changes everything. So you're, you're just going to award us that XP and, and we'll move on, right? Right? This time on Becoming DM, we're decoding the stat block. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And so what are we doing here? I think that we've had uh, at least a couple episodes where we have talked about uh, combat and stat blocks uh, back in episode 76. That's becomingdm.com slash EP76. We talked about making combat more interesting. And one of the things that, that we uh, we commented on was that you do need to make sure that you use the whole stat block for enemies, right? Oh, super important. Um, there's a lot of There's a lot of things that every different enemy can do. When you think about just like a goblin... Right. Goblins, I guess when I think about a goblin, I think, you know, as like the lowest tier enemy. Right. Can't really do much. It's just a little green dude who's got a sharp stick and he's coming at you. But a lot of times when you get to higher CR creatures and higher, you know, difficulty rating creatures, they come with um, a lot more going on in their stat block. And that's actually where the difficulty for that enemy comes in. Well, and even some of the lower level enemies, like the humble skeleton, uh, has some some things that are important to understand in the stat block as you go through it, because otherwise you're taking what is a relatively low, relatively easy enemy, and you're making it even easier than that if you're excluding some of this stuff. Um, but as we as we kind of went through things and as i i saw people asking questions on various forums on online um it kind of came to me that a lot of people don't really understand the stuff that's in a stat block like what does this mean why is it written this way i don't understand why why it says it like this and so um, today's episode, really, we're going to have an effort to go through sections of the stat block to try and understand those key data points that you need to make sure that you're paying attention to as you introduce these monsters into your games. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a lot of exposure with stat blocks, um, I think that something like this could be extremely helpful. I remember when I first started and, uh, you know, you're reading through the monsters and it, I, I personally found it rather overwhelming, right? You get all these charts and all these numbers and you don't really know what everything means. And so I know when I first started, <laughs> I would just be like, I don't know, uh, mind flare. Uh, it's got tentacles on his face. I don't know. Maybe it bites people. And I would just, <laughs> I'd just be happy with that and I'd run with it. And, uh, that's, that's definitely, um, 
it was a mistake on my behalf, and uh, I've learned how to read the stat blocks a little bit better now. <laughs> <laughs> so as we go through this, um, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about uh, stat blocks in in D and D five e as well as Pathfinder one e. Uh, I, I do think that that regardless of what version of the game that you play, hopefully there there is some valuable information here. Uh, a lot of the navigation that we're going to be doing around it are, is going to be focused on the D&D 5e just because there's a lot more players there right now. But uh, we'll try to call out when there's something specific to Pathfinder or something that we need to, to make sure you understand the difference between Pathfinder and D&D as we go through these stat blocks. So... Yes. With all that out of the way, uh, Danielle, why don't you get us started? Well, let's. I think that uh, probably past the name, right? You read the name of the monster, and then I think generally the second most important piece of information um, on the stat block or in a stat block is the challenge rating, the CR. Um, what it, challenge? What what is it in Pathfinder? CR. It's it's CR. Um, and and I will say, as you go through this, one of the important things to note is that in Pathfinder, this is right up near the top of the uh, of the stat block. Very easy to find, super easy to scroll through things and be like, oh, this is a CR two, this is a CR five, this is a CR one half. In D anD D, it's it's buried further down in the stat block, so you you do have to pay attention to try and find it. And it says challenge rather than CR, so that is that is kind of a key difference there. Yeah. Okay. Um. And then I, I did notice that on the D and D one that uh, in brackets next to it it has the experience you get for for dispatching of the an enemy. The an enemy, yes. But that being said, so the reason why CR or challenge, I guess I still call it CR because uh, my three point five background. I, um, I call it CR. And as CR well. is challenge rating. So challenge, I don't know, they took out a word, but anyways. (laughs) They took out a word Um, and made it longer. (laughs) Yeah, right? Uh, The reason why it's important is because the CR is how, sorry, the challenge is how um, the makers of the game basically balance the monster against um, your average, you know, party. I think Mm -hmm. technically the average party is four party members, according to the maths. I, I if I remember, if I remember correctly I believe that's correct. Yeah, I think I think it's four. So if if you think about you have uh, four level five players, then in theory a dead even match would be a CR five creature. Yeah, um, and and I I think it's important that you you point it out in theory. <laughs> in theory, yeah, because action economy that. There's there's a whole lot more to say about action economy because it it doesn't always it almost actually never plays out that way from my um, experience. <laughs> well, and and if you're if you're using the things that we talked about in our make combat interesting episode, you're going to have things like tactics and terrain and actions that the PCs have to do, and and then the the, the PCs are going to have tactics that they're doing, and if they're really good at doing tactical stuff or if they have a lot of attacks back to that action economy it can really shift um what that cr uh formula really represents because one one enemy that's a cr2 against your against your five players that are level two um 
is going to be a, a diff- totally different story. Yeah, it's it it a lot of it comes down to the planning of the combat encounter, yep. but the CR is a really or the challenge. Sorry, the you can say CR. Are, it's okay. We all understand. <laughs> the challenge is a really good benchmark. So if you if you're flipping through the book and you're not sure, and you've got you know a, a level five party and you find a CR5 monster, then that should give you a rough idea. This should be an even fight. You can toss in a couple little ads here and there, or you can, you know, you want a challenging fight for them, you try to find like a a CR7 or something like that. And uh, at least it gives you a really good estimation of uh, what your party is going to come up against. Yeah, and I think as you go along running games for that group, you're going to start to understand their play style a little bit better. And while the CR may not be precise for you, it gives you that guidepost to know, okay, my 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 party typically walks through uh, CR of this level. I need to maybe bump this up or bump this down based upon these various factors. So good, good starting point. Mm-hmm. It's uh, definitely a handy tool. Um, I think the next thing that kind of comes up, like right underneath the name. So as much as the name for D&D stat blocks is right up at the top, and then the CR somewhere lower mid to find that, which I think is probably like second most important Mm -hmm. as far as planning as a DM. But then right underneath the name is the size and type. And that's that's a lot of information um, that, that is very relevant to the game right off the hop right there. Yeah, I think that a lot of, uh, especially new DMs, will see that and not necessarily grasp what that means for the game. So if we look at, for instance, um, um, we'll, we'll use the skeleton as an example, just because I called them out earlier. Um, on on uh, For D&D and your Monster Manual, that's page 272. For Pathfinder 1E and your Bestiary 1, uh, that's page 250. Um, they at, th- at that line, they call out medium undead. And so medium is really going to be that size of the creature. And I-, I think the big first important thing to understand is that the size determines how much space they take on the battle map. So if you're running games with, with battle maps whether they're digital, online, poorly hand-drawn, or somewhere in between, uh, you've got these these minis and tokens and stuff that are taking up space for that monster on the on the battlefield. Um, now, when we talk about small and medium-sized enemies, and, and your players are typically going to be medium, um, they're going to take up one square, or one inch by one inch. So five feet if we if we uh, if we do all the conversion and stuff for large monsters that's going to take up a two by two section um or or 10 feet by 10 feet and moving up the scale huge is going to take up the three by three or 15 by 15 gargantuan takes up um four by four <laughs> and and we keep on going like colossal there's a colossal i've never fought in a had a colossal creature that they fought but six by six and and this is important for a couple of reasons because as the creature gets larger that means that there are more adjacent spaces to them so it could impact things like Attacks of Opportunity, uh, which we talked about in our last episode on the uh, on the nomenclature of the game. Um, 
where if there there's a lot more spaces that that creature occupies and and that if the players move away from they could get attacked by um it also gives more surface area for the the uh the uh players to uh soccer ball around and just clump around the the one monster and and try and fight fight them with so (laughs) i i think those are those are really important but uh um, any anything else that you see is important there, Danielle? Uh, the only thing that I was going to mention, and I'm pretty, I'm like ninety nine percent sure that I used to encounter this in three point five, but I'm not seeing it in five uh, e. I just quickly looked up a horse, but in uh, in three point five, it would say large, but then it would give like an, an area because horses technically only took up two by one. Yeah, it does. It does not anymore. In fact, if you look in, um, I was looking up. I don't remember. I don't know what book it was in. I I looked up. I was doing quick searches on online and in D and D Beyond. It gave me those uh, those dimensions for the sizes. So, um, huh. while I agree that like a horse probably is not going to be a two by two square, um, <laughs> maybe it's a fat horse. I don't know. It's a, it's a chunky <laughs> horse, <laughs> but. In in the in the other sense of things, I also do understand kind of why it's it's this ten by ten square. Is as much as a horse is ten might be ten feet long and most certainly not ten feet wide. Just a, a block horse, a Minecraft horse, if you will. <laughs> and uh, but it would still threaten that area, right? Because right. if you're standing right next to a horse in combat, he could just or the horse could just. I feel like it could still take you out. You're still like occupying a space that that horse technically, you know, has. And so that's okay. I guess that's, I'm fine with this change. Um, But yeah, so things can get uh, pretty, pretty big. And uh, one thing that I will note just uh, as far as size, size is important. Pay attention to the size, Um, especially when you're describing your areas. uh, Because if you, if you put all your, all your doorways and things is medium-sized doorways and you're like ha 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 <laughs> they're gonna fight a troll and your players just run into like a stone hut and they're like tee he he can't come in and it's like oh <laughs> whoops <laughs> you know now you got I, this troll trying to squeeze through a door yeah there there's like comics out there of of the of the rogue who's who's picking the lock to open the the small door and he goes into the door and it's this close-ended cave with this giant enemy it's like how did you get in here yeah (laughs) what happened what happened so i would say keep it in mind for your for your uh dungeon design as well as 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 you have these large creatures make sure that you understand how they get in and out Mm -hmm. um so but when we're looking at that, because if you like the size and type, so the the size will always come first in that description, which when you're looking at something like a skeleton, medium undead, that's relatively straightforward. But uh, like if you pull up something like a troll, um, it says large giant, mm-hmm. right? And giant isn't technically a size qualifier in, in D&D. At oh, least, good point. No. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I feel like that kind of confused me when I first started. Large giant. Um, but yeah, so and, it's size and then type. And and those um, those types are, are important because certain classes will have skills, abilities, etc. that apply spells that apply to certain types of creatures. Like there are there are a number of of spells that the cleric and paladin have that apply to undead. Um, um, and there are, 
as a druid, they can turn into things that are classified as beasts. Um, so with the other rules that are that are there, if you're looking through the book and you're not, not sure if your druid could ever turn into that at some point, make sure it says beast. And, and that's how you know. Mm-hmm. Very, very important for that. <laughs> There's a lot of druids who are like, oh, I could just I could just change into a. I don't know. Troll. It's like oh, Al Bear is the big Al- one recently oh, because yeah, of the D&D just, movie. <laughs> danger. Danger. <laughs> yes, Owl Bear. All right. Um so that's that's the size, that's the type. Um the next thing I guess in the in the 5e stat block is armor class, which I feel like most people who play D&D are pretty familiar with armor class. Yep. That's how we survive or how we die, I think usually. <laughs> Yeah, what, um, what what somebody has to roll to hit you, basically. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, like, we don't have to belabor that point. We can move on to the next thing, which is hit points or HP, if you're looking in Pathfinder. Uh, I the, the thing I think it's important to talk about this, because I think we all know what hit points are. We all have have heard talk of the game, even if this is your first time running the game. Hopefully you know what hit points are. What I think is important to talk about here is is how it's represented in the book. So it'll say hit mm-hmm. points or HP, followed by a number, followed by parentheses, and then a die roll. And I, I've seen this asked a couple of different times, so I, I feel like we should really make sure to bring it up. Um, the leading number, that number before the parentheses, is the average of the die roll. So if you don't want to do any work, um, you can just grab that average and say, this is the hit point for this creature. Um, if you want to have a little bit more variability, so if you've got like the the HP counter uh, uh, players who like are, are judiciously tracking every piece of damage done to your creatures and you want to give them a little bit of a surprise, you can roll for that and 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 do that uh, do that as you will. If you want to make your monsters a little bit more difficult, you could just say, I'm going to take the maximum of what I could roll here. I don't necessarily <laughs> recommend that, but it's a, it's a possibility. So um, yeah. the, the key thing is, is the number before is average, and then the parentheses is what you would roll if you were rolling uh, the, to find out what hit points the, the monster has on its own. Yeah, and me personally, I like I love knowing the average number that that first number out of the parentheses. Um, let's say it's like twenty six, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what I'll do, what I'll usually do, because my players do count hit points, and they're like, "Oh, he's got to be within five. and I know that they're counting. <laughs> and so I always just adjust a few of them up or down. I I usually don't roll the actual hit points. Right. I just you know one of them's got ten more, one of them's got ten less. Average it out. Yeah, and and just being able to understand this is the average and here's the dice that you would roll, so this is the max, that helps you understand what's within the realm of possibilities and, and go from there. Absolutely. Up next is speed. And I um, it's a dis- distance that can be traveled with a normal action during a turn. I think that... Uh, one of the things to call out here is as you look at different creatures, they will have multiple things of speed. They'll have speed, which is you're kind of traveling on the ground, walking around speed. They'll have flying, maybe, swimming, maybe. And, and that's that means that they have a special ability, whether it's wings or flippers or whatever, or magic, <laughs> that allows <laughs> them to travel these other ways Um 
at a different speed. So as you look through there, that's why you'll see some some creatures that have more than one thing under speed. Um, mm-hmm. And just be aware that that just like the players can, if you want to use more of your turn devoted to movement, you can move farther than that standard speed. Yeah, because the first the first speed is always just your walk speed. And then, yeah, the the flying, the swimming, the climbing, all that stuff is that they have it built in naturally and they, they're not hindered by it. Because yep. with, what what is it with uh, D&D? Your move speed is half when you're climbing, right? If you have a climb uh, yes, speed, that doesn't so. happen. Then yep. you can just move 30 feet up on your turn. Or whatever your climb speed is. Or whatever your <laughs> climb speed. Yeah, I guess your climb speed could be different. Um and you can just move that without without hindrance. So those those move speeds, those can be crucial when you're looking at a stat block, especially when you're planning the encounter. If you're looking at a at a monster class and you see that they do happen to have, say, a, a climb speed, that is definitely something to maybe plan in like a 3D encounter with walls where this thing can climb up and drop down on them or something. Um, use it. Or if you have a creature like a black pudding who has a really low move speed, uh, you may decide that you need to set up your encounter in a certain way where the black pudding is a surprise dropping down on them or something like that. Because if they see them across the room, your party can just say, we're just going to walk this way at a brisk pace. (laughs) I choose no. yeah, so just keep that keep that in mind as as you're building out encounters. The 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 speed does come into play both from a how you set the encounter as well as how you tactically approach it and and some of the things that you may want to have on the board to represent the area you're you're fighting in. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of the black pudding dropping down on people, could that have been because he rolled a high initiative? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's kind of the next area, uh, but you will not see this on the D and D five e stat block for for creatures. Yeah, they took it away. Yeah, so they, they're they're basically assuming that if you just use the dexterity modifier, then that will be the initiative bonus, and uh, and you go from there. Whereas um, Pathfinder does include that as a specific initiative modifier. Yeah, I think for the most part. That kind of makes sense, although until you like connect the dots, you know, in your in your brain that the dex bonus is the initiative bonus. That like imagine being a player and you're trying to find the like a new DM and you're trying to find the initiative of this mm-hmm. creature, and and you don't you don't already have that that relation of dex is is basically just initiative unless they have some sort of um, feat or magic item that helps it. It's not listed on there. So it does clean up the stat block in 5e, but if, you, if you're if you not aware of that, it'd be pretty hard to figure out how to roll initiative. Or if you're a Pathfinder DM that happens to be running a D&D game and you're looking <laughs> at the stat block going, where the heck is it? Like I have done multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if honestly, if you hadn't pointed it out, I might not have noticed that it just doesn't exist there. Yeah, I, I have I have spent more time than is reasonable pouring over the stat block <laughs> to try and figure out where the heck initiative is, and then finally given up and just use the deck the dex bonus. So I did the right thing in the end, but it took oh, me a yeah. while to get there. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's a really really good thing to bring up. I uh, I enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> so so keep us moving, Danielle. 
Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm looking at a stat block, and I'm actually miffed that I didn't notice that it didn't have an initiative before. It's actually kind of bugging me right now. So I will move on and, and stop worrying about that. Uh, let's move into the general stats of the monster. And, I mean, all monsters, well, all creatures, I guess, in, in the realm of D&D have stat blocks. Or, uh, what do you, what do you, base stats? Let's, yeah, Statistics. base stats. Yeah. Statistics, yeah, just like your player characters do, right? Your your strength, your dex, your con, um, they've got all of those too. Yep. Yeah, and uh, the same as your regular character sheet, they've got the the numeric stat as well as next to it in parentheses um, the bonus, right? Because it's every two it goes up by one, and so that's that's how you get your bonus, um, and it's all laid out for you right there, which is pretty handy. Yep, and um, for 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 five e, um, they have uh, you you they expect you to use the stat bonuses for saving throws. So again, this is another one of those trying to save space. But if you're not sure that uh, that you that it's not going to be there, you might find yourself looking uh, where yes. I I believe if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I don't have it in front of me right now. Pathfinder includes specific fortitude um, uh, type saving throws. Is that that's correct, right? Yeah, you got fort, ref, and will. Yeah, yeah. That's see, it's it's kind of nice because it's laid out right there. But that could just be me coming from three point five. I'm used to looking for those those specific right. things in the stat log. Whereas if once you get used to just using the base modifier and like the the number that's in parentheses, like the plus four or the minus two, that would be what you use for your save. So your strength save, um, deck save, and constitution. Mind you, you have all all like six yeah, saves. Yeah, I think all of them. Yeah. What would you off topic? What would you classify as a charisma save? Have you ever had to have somebody do a charisma save? Um, I don't know. There, that may be the one that there's not. I I'm not looking at the character <laughs> sheet right now, but okay. I don't know. Like maybe, right. maybe it's a maybe. Maybe you're in a rap battle with between two bards, and and they they have a really good dig, and you have to make a charisma save against it. That's what I'm going to say. Rap battles. That's what that's what rap it's battles. For. That's a that's that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> also on the Pathfinder side, in that statistics section, you've got your base attack bonus your combat maneuver bonus and combat maneuver defense. So those uh, CMB and CMD are, are what's going to be used for things like grappling and and unarmed attacks um, where your base attack bonus is going to be used to add on to attacks and fun stuff like that. I have never heard of CMB or CMD before. Well, now you have. I um, guess. Yeah, the, the, um, the grappling system in Pathfinder can be a little bit difficult. Uh, I mean, there, there, if, you, if, you do just, if you do a search for Pathfinder 1E grappling decision tree, um, you'll, you'll, <laughs> there's a decision tree? Yes. You'll have this like page full of chart that tells you like how to grapple. So... Um, just be aware. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to look that up later. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure I ran that the right way. Or maybe 
you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well and you want everybody to know about it. If so, you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. You can even let us know that you'd like to be a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. So moving on, the next part on the 5e stat block, uh, I'm calling the more info section. And um, this is where this is where in Pathfinder, you've got your saving throws. It's where um, if you have bonuses to specific skills, you'll have those skills listed there. Um, this doesn't necessarily apply to their intelligence. It could apply to various different stats. So like... Um, a shadow, the undead shadow, has a, a pretty high stealth bonus because they're a shadow. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and they work just like skill bonuses for players. So you roll the skill check and you add the bonus to it and you go from there. Yeah, it's just it's just a nice place to highlight what's different about about these particular creatures. When you look at your, your general character stat block, it has all of the skills and everything listed out on it. Because your players might end up putting one or two points into it at some point in time. Yep. But on your monster stat block, the only ones that they that they really show you are the ones that have points in them. Yeah, points beyond whatever their base uh, um, statistical bonuses are. Mm-hmm. And so in this regard, um, I mean, I appreciate it because it, it, it keeps the stat block a little bit clean. But at the same token, you're back to where you were with the initiative. If you don't know that that making a craft check requires <laughs> wisdom, intelligence, so requires a, a, one of the mental <laughs> <A> skill. skills. <laughs> if you're not a hundred percent sure which one that that relies off of, um, how <laughs> I wish I remembered. Um, how are you going to? How are you going to? You know, just naturally be able to roll that. Um, right. Without having to look something up, so that's it's, I, like I said, I appreciate it because it's clean. But maybe putting some sort of reference for yourself, what what skills are attributed to to which base stat might be helpful. Yep, it sounds like it'd be helpful for me. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I the next section I think is is one that's actually pretty important to talk about because. I do think that this is one that's often overlooked by by new and sometimes experienced DMs as well. And even if it's looked at um, uh, and 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 tried to incorporate, it may not be incorporated correctly because maybe maybe it's just not understood. And that's resistance and immunities for uh, for D and D and I believe Pathfinder, and then DR for Pathfinder or damage reduction, and um. And, and basically what these are are referring to if we if we look at D and D and Pathfinder D and D for the resistances and immunities and and DR for Pathfinder, they're referring to a type of damage that um, maybe doesn't do as much damage as normal. So with it when we talk about D and D, we've got various types of weapons and each has a damage type. If you look in your little uh, equipment chart it'll have like an s or a p or 
or a B, and those are slashing, piercing, bludgeoning, and they, they tell you what kind of um, damage that that does. This is why it's important, right, Danielle? Oh, very important. I'm gonna I'm gonna call back to your skeleton, right? Just mm-hmm. to pull up a visual. So a skeleton has, I believe, I don't have their stat block up, but I believe that they have either Oh, I'm thinking about it's, 3.5. It, it changed. You're in, in 3.5 and Pathfinder, oh, no. you are you would be correct. They they oh, would have no. resistance and immunity <laughs> to anything but bludgeoning. But in 5e, they changed it to where they have vulnerability to bludgeoning. But we'll talk about vulnerabilities oh. in a minute. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I, I have my... Yeah. All right. Uh, all right. So let's talk about resistance. <laughs> <laughs> resistances. <laughs> um, so if if you're reading a stat block and something has a resistance, so say it has a resistance to fire, um, that means that the damage, that those certain damage types, it doesn't have to be fire. If it says resistance anything, it's whatever the anything is. Yeah, it, it could be bludgeoning, th- it could be piercing, it could be fire, whatever. Yeah, there's there's so many different ways to hurt somebody in D and D, but the damage types are halved because they are resistant to them, and so Half, if that's I were so much off, <laughs> that's a good sale. Um, so that fifty percent off, if I were if I rolled damage, I rolled fourteen, right? Make math easy. I rolled fourteen. That just means that seven goes through. If the, if that all is. Um, I'm going to go back with fire damage, if that all was fire damage. Yeah, and the important thing to note here, it's not just what you roll, it's roll plus bonuses. So if you roll a six and you got a plus eight bonuses because of your strength and your magical weapon and well, and all this stuff, like all, all these bonuses that added up to 14, it still has the 14. It doesn't have just the, the rolled damage. Yeah, it ruins everything. It's no fun. <laughs> <laughs> But it's a good way to keep your monsters alive when your players are trouncing through them like they don't exist. Yep. And so immunities are probably what you would guess. It means that the creature takes no damage from that type of attack. So no. you'll have some that are that are that don't take damage from physical attacks. Uh, so interesting stuff there to challenge your players. I think ghosts are one of those, aren't they? You need uh, like magic weapons and I believe so. Stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, immunities. That's, yeah, that's pretty self-explanatory. I'm immune (laughs) to that. Oh, that's fine. Um, but yeah, you got to make sure to check below the next line. If there are things like legendary resistances that might allow the creature to pass a saving throw, uh, like what it would have failed. Yep. Um, so Pathfinder has the concept of damage resistance. Um, and I believe three, five has this as well. It sure does. Um, (laughs) So DR basically applies to physical damage types. So in in Pathfinder, we have a skeleton that has a DR, and it it represents a DR 5 slash bludgeoning. And what this means is that all physical damage types except bludgeoning are going to be reduced by 5. So back to Danielle's example, she swings her sword (laughs) at the the skeleton and does 14 damage. Nope, sorry, that's 9 points of damage. (laughs) So it it really does have an impact. Yeah, it really does have an impact, especially if you're dealing with these things at lower levels where you're not dealing 14 damage, you're dealing 6 or 7. It can make your, your enemies much 
longer lasting. Mm-hmm. Also a little bit fun to describe when you get to play around with, with damage reductions. Um, I, I always, I always prefer, I, I've always appreciated the damage reductions with, uh, describing hits because everything, every other thing I, I, I tend to try to go gory to make people feel, I don't know, like they're really doing something. Mm -hmm. Um, but with, with, uh, let's go with again, skeletons with the five slash bludgeoning, then you can say, oh, you poke him with your rapier or whatever. You can see it go through most of his bones and then pop out a rib on the back. You know, it, I just like the visuals. Yeah, and I mean, if you're not as um, verbally descriptive <laughs> in in your combat scenes, but you still want to pass on that information, a simple way to do this is just say, yeah, you, you hit the skeleton with your sword and it doesn't seem to do as much damage as you would expect it to. Um, yeah. It's a simple way of communicating that there's been some sort of um, resistance without just saying like, oh, you did, you actually did two points of damage, not, not seven. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, it's, it's stuff that your players would be able to see. And so mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's worth putting that in there, whether you do it in a super descriptive way or, or, um, basically any way that you can convey that information to your players. Cause your players, your, your, their, your players characters would be there in the world and they yep. would be able to per- perceive most of this to some degree for sure. I think that we also have for Pathfinder, we do have immunities and resistances. Um, they are going to be tied specifically to elemental types, if I'm not mistaken. So rather than where, where, um, in D&D, your resistances and immunities um, are for, like, all sorts of damage type. The the DR is going to be for physical damage, where the immunities and resistances are going to be for, like, fire, ice, energy, whatever. Clouds. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. I have that immunity. I'm immune to clouds. Um <laughs> Uh, okay, now we can get to to the vulnerabilities part that we talked about earlier that I, yep. I sort of led into. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> with D and D five e, you can have a type of um, instead of a resistance to to a certain type of damage, you can have a vulnerability. And so the skeleton in five e has a vulnerability to bludgeoning damage, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so with vulnerabilities, it's basically the exact opposite of a resistance. Instead of taking 50% damage, you actually just double the damage. Yeah, when I saw double, I, I'm so used to running Pathfinder where it's not double. We'll talk about that in a second. I saw double, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> <There's> so many. <laughs> it really but, is, though. Yeah, it is. Uh, but since we mentioned Pathfinder, vulnerability adds 50% to the damage. So it's not doubling it. It, it is adding 50%. So you have to do a little bit more, uh, a little bit more math, but, uh, but it all works out. Yeah. Have to double. That's, that's a big swing. Yeah. You could make a really interesting combat encounter mixing two things that have opposing vulnerabilities and, and resistances. Yeah, that that's actually one of the things I think we talked about in in our making combat interesting is is to I think we did. 
use your use your enemies that have conflicting things. Yeah, because we talked about the puzzle of combat, and that's one of the puzzles of mm-hmm. combat is to try and figure out what the best attacks are for the certain types of enemies as you mow through them. <laughs> Imagine with 5e, though, the person who's, like, fighting a troll with a bludgeoning weapon and somebody's like, no, no, switch to the skeleton. And and they go from, like, doing basically nothing every single turn. <laughs> and they just swing around and just blow a skeleton to pieces. Yes. It would feel so amazing. <laughs> I felt like I couldn't do anything before, but now I feel like I can destroy everything. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> um, <laughs> up next in this section, we have we have senses, and Yay. I believe it's in a different part in the Pathfinder uh, stat block. But this provides information on stuff like uh, innate senses, like dark vision, um, or anything else that the creature might have. Uh, some have like the ability to smell things. If you're talking about kind of a wild animal or or some sort of predator, things like that. Um, in mm-hmm. D&D, this is also where it provides you the passive perception information for for the creature if needed, uh, which is not a concept in uh, in Pathfinder, so you won't find it there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you won't find that. But yeah, and then I guess that's a really good name for that section, just senses. It's like this yes. is what you got. Yep. Yeah. How you experience the world. Yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot of different ones. Yeah. But moving so, on. Yeah, the next major section there is, I I call it actions, and it includes a bunch of stuff. (laughs) Um, So within D&D, it's going to include their attack, the creature's attacks, their special abilities, stuff like that. Um, And it is important to note that that, um, Pathfinder does split out the attacks into a section of the stat block called offense. And so within offense, it's got... A variety of things um, for their attacks, but it ha- does have a separate special abilities section for anything like out of the like I've got claws and I'm gonna claw you kind of thing. <laughs> that's that's what I've got and that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Something about uh, a hammer and a nail. Yeah, but but regardless of of which one we're talking about, the attack in- information is going to be presented just like it presented hit points it'll have the average of of what damage that attack does and then in parentheses after that it'll have the dice roll so again you can choose to do the average i think that the the players are going to start to be like he always hits me for 11 points of damage what gives um (laughs) so i do like to i do like to roll those on my own i don't know what are your thoughts i roll all damage all the time always Well, um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, except for very, very special cases when, you know, but anyways, um, yeah, I, I love rolling to attack. I feel like it's like the most engagement I get as a DM. It's right. like low effort on the brain. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, so, but one type of action. So there's, we can always do a basic attack. Right? So that's, uh, you know, uh, a claw. A lot of times it's your primary weapon, claw, smack, you know, sharps. You got that. But then there's multi-attack, where this, I think, can kind of get a little bit um, hazy. Mm -hmm. But when you you make a multi-attack action, you use use this instead of uh, your standard attack action, but it means that you can make 
like all of your tax basically in in one round. Well, but it all also the means... attacks that are listed as part of the multi-attack. Oh, I, as part, I, I, yeah, yeah. Some things have thing a lot. There. Yeah, some things have a lot. Yeah, that's right. But uh, so it'll say multi-attack, and then it'll say you know a bite and two claws, right? I think bears have that. And uh, so at that point in time, it can bite you. It can do two claw actions. Some things like uh, wolves can make like a free trip attack and stuff. I think that's wolves. I can't remember. But there's other things that kind of play into it. And this is where reading the stat block of the monsters really comes in because there's there's a thousand different things that you can find in these in these action portions. Yeah. So like if you look at like an ancient brass dragon, they, they included in their multi-attack, they start with... The frightful presence special ability, which is another ability in this um, in this uh, action section um, that you can read through, then they can make one bite attack and follow it up with two claw attacks. So uh, it's important to note that this is not all of their attack types. They also have a tail attack and stuff like that. So reading through there is really important. But but I will say that if the if the monster does decide to do do like that tail attack. Which is not part Something of the multi attack. Outside of it, they, yeah. they they can't do the multi attack. So, yeah, um, but I guess long story short, because there's so many different. There's how, if you were to guess, how many monsters do you think that there are now? Oh, I have no idea. Hundreds, exactly, thousands. <laughs> <laughs> With between all of the content that you can get from from third party sources, there are it's it's an insane amount of, of potential stat blocks and abilities. Um, push comes to shove. This, this is like your key point. Everything else is kind of like quick reference. It's good information. It's something to be there. But when you're planning an encounter, you, you need like the name of the monster, the CR of the monster to know, you know, how many other monsters or less monsters to put in. And then the abilities, the abilities are so crucial to read when you're, when you're setting up your encounter. Yeah, because, again, back to what we said at the beginning of this, if you're not reading through this stuff and taking a moment to understand what these things mean, you are shortchanging your monsters and you're you're making a significantly easier encounter for your players than otherwise you would have. Not to mention a little bit less interesting because all of these, all of these tiny little abilities that each different monster has... Um, not only does it change the way that you play them, but it also makes it more flavorful for the players because it changes up the engagements uh, quite a bit. Yep. So I think there's one more major section, um, and this one is really dedicated to D&D 5e, um, and that is the legendary action section. We talked about legendary resistances earlier, um, but legendary actions are are little bonus for the creature as as far as like just making your player's day bad. <laughs> yeah. So so dangerous. Yeah, so typically a creature that has legendary actions and it'll list them if they do, um can take 3 of those actions per long rest. So so if if you're freshly fighting this creature, they they have 3 opportunities to use those legendary actions. Um but they they get taken at the end of another creature's turn. So if your players come up and say, I'm going to swing my sword at you, they swing their sword and like, ha ha, I did some damage. And then the then the creature does legendary attack and just <laughs> ruins their day. <laughs> some creatures are going to have just one legendary, legendary action. Some creatures will have multiple. So read through and see what you have. And then you'll have to choose which ones you want to use for those 
those three potential uses. So, yes, make sure to choose wisely, and uh, <laughs> I and I mean that wisely from not only from like from the monsters' perspective, you know, because to to some degree you're always playing like what would what would the monster do, yep. WWMD, right? Um, but also because if if you didn't happen to read the stat block correctly or the action correctly or there's some sort of interaction happening between the party's gear or something and and you drop one of these um some of these big actions can can be kind of devastating i uh i recently very recently used a very big cr creature against my players i didn't think that they'd fight him i thought they were going to run away and they probably mm-hmm. should have but i didn't really <laughs> i didn't realize that one of their abilities was permanent blindness oh wow i know and uh, i didn't realize it until mid combat because it was a spell and i had cast it fortunately they passed their their constitution save but then i read it and it was permanent blindness and they were <laughs> locked in like a dungeon like it's a huge huge dungeon that's really hard to get out of and <laughs> i was really happy that they passed that check <laughs> <laughs> whoopsie <laughs> oh yeah Cool. Well, I think that's uh, primarily what we wanted to talk about about stat blocks. Anything else that, uh, that you wanted to bring up, Danielle? Um, nope. I don't think that we do. I think that we kind of covered everything, and I, I do hope that this helps some people um, understand the, the stat block. It's a lot of information in a very small space, and uh, there's a, there's a lot of um, nuance to it sometimes. Yeah, and I know that that like we covered some stuff that that you probably at some points were like, "Well, I know this. Why are we talking about this?" But you never know uh, when we encounter those things that somebody won't know. Um, so we're just trying to make sure we are uh, covering what we can. You bet. So, all right. Well, thank you for joining us again. We will see you in a couple of weeks. And until then, stay nerdy, nerdy, friends. friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.